Welcome to another edition of the Double Blue Podcast. Mike Hogan keeping you company here today. Uh, coming up on the program, a little bit different. The players, the starters, are all out west right now and not coming back. I'm here in Toronto. So the options were, okay, let's get somebody from the practice roster or one of the injured players. Okay. And I thought, one of the things we want to do, and we're doing this with... Uh, Doing this with some articles on Argonauts.ca or just go to the uh, the Argos app. Free download, by the way. I thought it would be in a, kind of go behind the scenes a little bit. And somebody who's been now uh, an Argonaut for seven years is Vince Magri. And Vince is the director of Canadian Scouting. A former player. He played at Mac. He was a starting offensive lineman for four years. Um, and then got into this industry in terms of football operations. And it's an interesting story. And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go over how he got here and we'll also talk about some of the Argo drafts that he's been here for. Uh, the first one that he was here for as uh, as director was the Anthony Coombs draft. So kind of going forward I'm, I'm curious as to some of the later drafts a guy like Declan Cross, a guy like Levi Noel, what they saw who were actually drafted in the same round. So we'll kind of go through that with Vince and, and, and uh, he's an interesting guy to talk to so I'm looking forward to this conversation which knowing the two of us could go very lengthy. One of, one of the things that uh, I have an affinity for is OUA football and, and U sports football. And, you know, this is Vince's job to break down some of the guys. And it's guaranteed at least once a day during the course of the season or into the offseason, we will talk around the office about some OUA players. And he'll give me a th- his thoughts on, on different guys and, and I'll, I'll kind of – pitch in with my two cents or I'll ask him a question about why he likes a certain player better than another one so uh, he's an interesting guy to talk to so it's going to be a, a fairly comfortable conversation with Vince who is the, uh, the director of Canadian scouting as mentioned uh, last game lots of negatives lots of positives obviously and I think the positives are starting to go in the right direction obviously the score didn't read the way the Argos wanted it to the loss in Winnipeg the way it started lots of stuff that can be cleaned up and it's going to have to get cleaned up obviously but there were there were things in the loss that I think excited Argo fans when you look big picture offensively Darrell Walker 188 yards couple of touchdowns that's the Darrell Walker that we expected to see all along when the Argos signed him uh, we just kind of sat back and went, okay, this is the guy. Now we've got the deep threat uh, in terms of being a wideout, and we saw what he's capable of, and he's almost impossible to cover. So that was fantastic. And the fact that now sort of everybody's getting on the same page um, with with Coach Chapdelaine's system, so that that was a very good dose of positive news that should trickle down toward other positions in the offense. Defensively, uh, Cleon Lang is is playing like a beast right now. He's been dominant on the inside. And at the next level, there's Micah Alway, who's uh, playing the middle linebacker spot right now. Could also at some point end up, we, uh, I did a feature on him, and Corey Chamberlain talked about his versatility where in some circumstances you could see him and Ian Wild flip-flop or Wild come out, move Alway to Will. Like there are different things you can do, the weak side linebacker spot, different things you can do with Alway. Uh, but he has been just absolutely fantastic. And I'll, I'll kind of a behind-the-scenes story here that I didn't include in the story on Micah. We do the conversation 
And very, very intriguing guy. Very, very cerebral football player, which, you know, when you combine it with his athleticism and his ability to play angry, it's a really intriguing combination as he seems to check off every box there. So we, we finish the, the conversation and I say, okay, I'm going to make you smile right now. He kind of gives me that look like, okay, where are you going with this? And I looked at him and I said, I... I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And he looked at me, he got this big smile, and he went, Carson Wentz? And I went, yeah. Carson Wentz, if you're not an NFL fan, the the, the high-profile quarterback, number two overall in the draft a few years ago, he was playing for Philadelphia. Micah was with Tampa Bay in a preseason game, and Micah came off the edge clean and destroyed Carson Wentz and actually caused a rib injury. I can't remember if there was a a fracture in the ribs, but he just laid him out. And I told him, I said, I had no idea who you are, but you had a really cool name. So I just, I I Googled it and saw what a tackling machine you were at Texas Tech. And that's the first time I saw Micah always name or saw him in a game. And then when he signed up BC, I said, oh, this guy could be something. Having kind of done the due diligence and looked back at his highlight tape from Tech. And then when he signed here, I was really excited uh, for him to come in here. And he's been just dynamite so far. Uh, Congratulations to all who took part in Celebration Day here with the Argos. Uh, Last week, there was a one-day ticket offer. And boy, did you guys take advantage of that. Thank you. It's going to pay off in in better crowds for three games later in the season. You're going to see that. And uh, thanks to everybody at MLSE who who took part on that day as as a sales uh, pitch. It's one of the things that ownership by MLSE has has afforded the Argos the opportunity to kind of branch out and use personnel in different areas. And uh, it was a very good day for the Argos. So uh, you're going to see some pretty good crowds down the road. But it's one of those marketing things that we don't talk about. We're not going to gloat on a lot. We're not going to give you numbers or anything like that. But I'll, I'll just say that it was a very high target number and it was exceeded. So uh, that's good news. Very, very good news. So let's get to it. Don't forget, by the way. Next home game, we got the Calgary game Thursday night, 9 o'clock Eastern, TSN, TSN 1050 simulcast. At Edmonton, Thursday the 25th, 9.30 is the game there. Next home game is against the Bombers. It's a 7 o'clock game here on Thursday, August 1st. Um, Every team in the league has been mandated uh, to have a Thursday night game. We know how TSN is trying to build that Thursday night football game. Uh, They're trying to tailor it to a younger crowd. So every team in the league is going to have that, and it contains the uh, the concert series. So Classified is going to be playing halftime that night. So uh, again, if you want to pick up your tickets, argonauts.ca, or you can just download the app uh, free at the App Store. Just, just look for Toronto Argonauts. You'll see the app. It's a free download, and you can do all your work. You can read all the articles that we put out, see all of the video content that we put out uh, with Sean Bone and myself. Uh, you can do all that through your phone. The Argos app is absolutely free so let's get to it shall we the guest this week is the director of canadian scouting for the toronto argonauts his name is vince magri he's a local kid uh, played at st mike's played at mac and has been here now for seven seasons it's an interesting story on how to get here so if you have a kid that's looking to to get into football and realizes during high school or during college that he doesn't have the talent level to get to whatever the next level may be, listen to the story, and you'll find out how Vince got to the CFL.
And it's time for a guest on the Double Blue Podcast. How cool is that? And the players are all out, aside from the intro guys and the guys on the PR, they're all out west. So it's a perfect opportunity to get behind the scenes a little bit and talk to a local boy done good uh, who is now the director of Canadian scouting for the Argonauts, Vince Magri. How you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? You're very good. Thank you. You're supposed to be a hockey guy because you're from Toronto. How did this happen? Hoagie, I can't even skate. <laughs> were you a guy who just football from an early, early time, or were you a guy who played everything and just caught into football, or how did how did this all happen? No, I started playing football when I was six years old in uh, in North York, and you know, basically played until you know they let me. And did you start playing like whatever the sponsored league would be? Did you play tackle football when you were a little guy, or did you yeah, wait until high ta- school? Yeah, it was tackle football f- since the age of six, mm-hmm. all the way up since through the age the of end, six. Yeah, until the end of oh, my. Oh, I hope you have video career. of that. You know what? I actually have pictures of uh, myself with pinball, uh, one with Flutie. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, that's really. And cool. one with Acadia head coach uh, Jeff Cummins. Oh. Which I didn't even know it was him <laughs> at the time. My mom actually had pulled it out a couple months ago um and i had it on my phone and i went up to coach cummins at the east west bowl like hey man is by any chance this you and he stopped dead in his tracks he couldn't believe it well you just made him feel old well we have a working relationship now and we have had for the last six or seven years and kind of had no idea that and you mentioned pinball he's basically pinball in terms of disposition like he's as nice a guy as you could possibly imagine so i'm sure he got a kick out of that Oh, he did you ended up going to st mike's what was that like I loved the experience. I did. It was uh, it was a real tight knit group, uh, especially because the school itself is so rich in tradition, sure, and athletic tradition, where it wasn't just the football guys, but the hockey players, the basketball program. You know, it was it was a competitive environment where everyone was trying to succeed, especially athletically, and mm-hmm. just that environment. I enjoyed my time there. Were you there when Chris Rossetti was there? Yeah. So you guys were teammates there? We were teammates one year. So me and his older brother, Matt, were mm-hmm. in the same grade. And then in my – so me and Chris were two years apart. Um, so my grade 12 year, when Chris was in the 10th grade, he came up and played on the senior team. For those who don't know Chris Rossetti, he's, he's now with the Miami Dolphins, and they're, he's still with the Dolphins, right? Correct. In their scouting department, but was, was here as a kid right out of Guelph, did an internship here, and, and it took off. So the fact that you've got two guys who are scouting now off that one team, it's pretty neat when you look back. Yeah. Metro Bowl, did you guys ever get there? Yeah, we did. We won it in uh, 2005 against Pickering at the old Iverwind Stadium. Oh, okay. So you missed the whole Skydome thing, and you uh, Roger Center, but you yeah, played. it was the one year they didn't do it there. Yeah. It was the year we won. What was, what was the highlight for you as an offensive lineman? Ooh, that game, I think. Uh, well, first play of the game, we, we ran the ball and we housed it. Boom, oh, really? Ninety yards. Who's yeah. the back? Uh, Charlie Houghton. There who, you go. Who ended up going to Georgetown and had a nice career there. You ended up at Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have a lot of opportunities to go to different schools? Because if you, if you went to Mac, I assume you had more than one choice. I did. I had a lot of choices coming out uh, Canadian-wise. I sure. mean, I was looking at pretty much everywhere. I know York at the time was a strong possibility. They'd just come off a playoff year with you know, Ricky Foley and Andre mm-hmm. Jury. This was Warren Craney as head coach. No, this or was, was uh, Coach Gratis. Okay, coach Tom Gratis. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but, uh, you know, Mac was kind of – they were a powerhouse at that time. And, and the head coach was? Steph Patazic. So, actually, when I committed, it was Marcello Campanero. Mm-hmm. He had taken over from Greg Marshall. 
and uh, Patazic ended up getting the job while I was being recruited mm-hmm. and talked to the commits into sticking with them and riding <laughs> through it. Now so you, I was in his first recruiting class. There was that run where Mac was going to the Vania Cup, it seemed, every year. Uh, you just missed that as a player, though, right? What, what was your highlight at Mac as a player? I think the ultimate highlight was, and again, it, it kind of stinks because I missed the Vanier by one year, but you know, the year I got there, you know, we were a dominant team. Uh, we were ranked in the top you know, two or three all season, got upset in the playoffs, and then once we lost a lot of guys to graduation, we kind of had a down year where we went down to four and four. Mm-hmm. But then every year from there, we'd go from four and four to five and three to six and two. And we helped build that thing back up to where, you know, they became Vanier Cup champions. And then, you know, especially in college football, just what it does for recruiting and to keep stockpiling talent. You know, they just kept progressing year after year. And then, you know, it didn't just end from the Vanier in 11. They went back in 12 and then again in 14. How weird is it now that you're in the position you're in? that Tyler Crepinia is here when you guys were teammates at Mac. Is that a little bizarre? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it wouldn't be the first one. Uh, but it makes you feel young again, doesn't it? A little bit, because yeah. when I was here at the same time Matt Sewell was, you know, I was a little oh, sure. younger yeah. and fresher out. <laughs> and, you know, being teammates with Chris Van Zyl, who's now yeah. been in the league for 10 years, that one makes me feel old too. So you, you, you leave, you graduate. Mm-hmm. What made you think that I want to stay in this sport, whether it be as a coach or video or personnel? I mean, that was always kind of my my ultimate goal. I mean, kind of like every kid that starts playing the game, you want to play it professionally and you want to play as long as you can. Mm -hmm. I guess I'd say I'd started my personnel career kind of early when I self-scouted myself <laughs> late in my career and kind of noticed that knew that you know I wasn't going to be a guy that was going to be a professional player mm-hmm. so I knew that I wanted to stay in football and stay being involved and if I could do it professionally I mean that would kind of have been the ultimate for me. What would uh, 2019 Vince Magri give as a scouting report to 2009 Vince Magri as a player? Oof. That's a good question. <laughs> well, you said you already did the self-scouting, yeah. obviously mentally. but what? Well, aside from grow, um, <laughs> I needed to be more athletic, foot speeds, just everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of – I was more of a student of the game and was more of a technician. So you were a good technical player at the OUA level, play- yeah. so the coaches loved you. I'd hope so. And what were, you, what were your measurables, like in terms of height, weight, when you were there? Uh, six foot barely graduated about 310 pounds how long did it take you to lose the weight because what are you now now i'm 220 so yeah. the lowest i got down it was 200 mm-hmm. it took a couple years i mean it was, it was tough but so steph hired you to be the video guy at mac when you retired correct or graduated well he offered me to stick around and coach the spring camp that i was graduating mm-hmm. but i decided i was going to go back home come back home to toronto and um I, I wasn't sure if I was still going to go back to school or not, mm-hmm. but I reached out to John Engel, who was my OVFL coach in Etobicoke, who was the offensive coordinator at U of T, okay. and got hired onto Greg Gary's staff in 2011. Basically, it was kind of a deal where, hey, if you learn kind of the video side and how to operate our video software, we'll in turn let you 
be the offensive line assistant and let you go out and scout and recruit for and us. And how did that go? Greg Gary, another fantastic guy. What was that experience like coaching under him? Oh, it was great uh, working under him. And then I already had the relationship with John Engel mm-hmm. and Donovan Carter, who's still he's coaching yeah. at Guelph now. He was our defensive coordinator. Former Argo Former first Ar- round pick yeah. for those who remember back in 2000. Yeah. So we, we had a really good staff. We actually had a competitive team. We were you know, half a game out of that last playoff spot. Our defense for most of the year was actually ranked in the top three to five nationally. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we were, we were competitive. And it was fun. The main reason I, I wanted to go to U of T for that year instead of staying at MAC was just to see something different, experience a different way of, you know, seeing how a team operates, you know, day in, day out. But then back to MAC. And then I got a call, would have been uh, not not too long after the, the 2011 season ended, that Mac had an opening, you know, in the exact same kind of role that I was doing at U of T, but they kind of expanded a little more in terms of both coaching and scouting mm-hmm. and just the opportunity to go back to a team that, you know, was coming off of Vanier yeah. and with a staff that I was comfortable with and to go contribute to that was... So you missed the game of the decade and, uh, you know, the double overtime win over Laval in Vancouver. You come back the next year. It's at Rogers Center, 37,000 fans there, and everybody unrealistically is thinking, oh, we're going to get another double overtime game. This is going to be great. Didn't work out that way for Mac. No. But is that a, a, a night you replay often in your mind about things that could have gone differently? No, only because, I mean, they just they just beat us that day. I don't think there was really anything – we could have done differently. They just kind of lined up, and they didn't do anything fancy. You go back and watch the film, and they didn't out-scheme us. They, they just lined up, and, and it <laughs> took it to us, and they got their revenge. That surprised a lot of people mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I think we were all expecting, you know, because the talent level we saw the year before, and maybe Laval did have the more talent. Right. But, man, you give them a year, and they just had Max circled. Right. Like, they were just at some oh, point. Oh, yeah, they, they wanted that all year long. And you it's know. funny because, you know, you might say that, Oh, we might have said it at the time, too, that we might be more talented. But you go back and look at that 2012 Laval roster, and there are a lot of players on mm-hmm. that list that are still playing in the CFL. Absolutely. Um, how did you get the Argo job? So not long after that game, it would have been maybe a week or two after the Argos won the Grey Cup in 2012, my phone rang, and it was Jim Barker, and I got an opportunity to – interview for the video job here because I had been doing the video and at Mac and at U of T mm-hmm. and it was just it was an, a natural fit and you, you thought okay this is an op- opportunity to go and maybe it's less responsibility but it's at a higher level is that is that a fair it's fair I, I kind of had a I don't want to say a tough tough time coming to the decision but I was very upfront in my interview process that I did want to be working in personnel mm-hmm. um, in, in the interview process and either, either in personnel or coaching. I wasn't sure which one at the time, but I knew I wanted to move into that side. And so I wasn't sure if I wanted to take the job doing something else professionally, not being 100% sure I'd have the chance to move on into something else. Mm-hmm. But I feel like being as upfront as I was early in the process made me comfortable knowing that you know, that those guys saw the same, you know, potential in me to do what I wanted to do. Which is live the glamorous life of player personnel. I arrive usually around 9 o'clock during the season. You've already been here for a couple of hours. 
I'll leave somewhere between three and seven o'clock, and I don't think you've ever left before I have. Um, how much video do you think you watch over the course of a year? Oof. I don't even know if you can put that into a number. But and, and I should, should point out, like your, your responsibility is just not with Canadian scouting, though that's the title, correct? Correct, yeah. I'm watching film from basically all levels, from Canadian University to NCAA to NFL preseason and regular season. And not just looking at Canadians, even though you're responsible for tracking all the Canadians. Um, it's laborious work. Do you still enjoy it as much as you did? Oh, yeah. Probably even... I wouldn't say more so, but, uh, I mean, I, I feel like y just the amount of hours you put into it. And like you said, the amount of hours you spend sitting there watching the film, I yeah. mean, you have to love it or else it'll drive you nuts. Obviously the on-field stuff is one thing, but for you is the draft, the high point for you is it free agency mm. or is it every day they run out through the tunnel? Oh, it's, it's still game day. I think I still got that part in me, you know, from being a <laughs> former player. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's all that matters is, you know, the wins and the losses and, mm -hmm. and trying to win a great cup. And, you know, the whole draft process is awesome. I love it. Yeah. You know, free agency is fun. You make your team better. But at the end of the day, you know, those two big moments, I mean, the whole reason they exist is to make your team better to win on game day. Your first draft year was Anthony Coombs' year, correct? Correct. What was your biggest surprise the first time you went through the process? Uh, because everybody has this sort of idea of what the draft is like. What, what was it like when you got a chance to kind of look behind the curtain and see what it was like on a draft day? Well, it was funny because so I sat in in the war room the year before oh, okay. uh, when I okay. was just mainly video that year because because I had just come from the CIS or U Sports. I had, did have a lot of input on the 2013 draft just because I had been so recent there that yeah. I was, you know, they'd always ask me, what do you think of this guy? And you coach this guy, you coached against this guy. Mm -hmm. So I was able to sit in the war room and kind of be exposed to that process a little bit. So I kind of had a, a good idea of kind of what it took and what the experience was like. The difference was going into 2014 when we were picking later in the draft, but we had a lot of interest in the kid we ended up drafting and then I wasn't really exposed to some of the day of or days leading up to the draft drama uh, in terms of trades because we ended up trading up in yeah. the draft. Yeah. And then, again, there was a trade that occurred right before the draft. The John got for the, the first overall pick. Correct. Before us. And, you know, we weren't sure if they were trading up to take the guy that we had traded up to get. It's funny. That was my first time in a war room. And Barker sat me down and he said, okay, here's – what we expect out of you here's what you can talk about here's what you can't talk about and all he said was don't talk about any players that we don't end up drafting right. because that might you know we don't want to give teams the impression that we like them that much so we don't want to kind of build that well, okay that's fine he said we've made a trade and this is before it was announced this is like mm -hmm. three o'clock in the afternoon draft starts at seven he said we made a trade with Edmonton we're going to take the third overall pick and we did it because we really want Anthony Coombs and I went okay is it contingent upon him being there and he went, no. I went, ooh, that's interesting. And I went into the war room, and I looked at Anthony Coombs' name, and he was like 10th on the list. They had intentionally flipped his name on, on the chart in case somebody, an office staffer who wasn't supposed to be there, went in and, and you know, kind of spilled the beans about how much they love Coombs. That's how paranoid you guys are when it comes to draft day. But that was unbelievable because the trade was made, and they thought with Cornish, mm -hmm. maybe Calgary was going to take 
Coombs to be that other Canadian. Right. And the intensity and the silence in that room was something I will never forget because you guys had you guys were terrified that right. Coombs was going to be off the board. Yeah, to this day, I, I don't think I've ever experienced another pick where you're sitting there waiting for that first syllable to come out of the, the teleconference speaker. Yeah. The weird thing about that that I will never forget as well, nobody was looking at the speakerphone. Correct. Like, I'm taking notes. Like, people are looking at their shoes. They're looking at the ceiling. They're looking at TSN, the video, whatever. Nobody was looking at it. Was re, it was really right. weird because everybody was just kind of off on their in their own little space going, please, please, please. So that worked out. Uh, a couple of years later, you had you had a hell of a round. You always remember kind of the, the, the picks that are you, you're able to grab later in a draft. 2016, fourth round. You got Declan Cross, 27th. You got Levi Noel, 31st. Hmm. That's not a bad round. What, what did you see in Declan that maybe some others didn't? Well, Declan... Now, I remember recruiting him at Mac. It was kind of, we'd kind of started that process on my way out of there to come to the Argos. So uh, I knew a bit about his versatility, uh, even back from his high school days when he was a tailback. And uh, even though they didn't give him the ball often. Ever at Mac, <laughs> ever. He never got the ball at Mac. Uh, we knew that he did have the ability to run with the football uh, he, that he had good hands. Mm-hmm. You know, you knew the kind of kid that he is, the kind of work ethic he has, and just, you know, you guys see it on game day, but it's not natural for somebody to accelerate through a block, through contact, yeah. mm-hmm. the way he does. It's interesting because and, and we talk often during the course of the OUA season mm-hmm. because we both have an affinity for that product about guys and what they could do at the next level. And I vividly remember the first time I saw Levi Noel play, and it was a game that Dylan Campbell stole because he rushed for almost 300 yards uh, for Laurier in a game against U of T. Nobody remembers Levi Noel going off that night for about 200 yards receiving, including a couple of long scores. And I was like, oh, there's something there. Um, I was stunned that he was available when he was in the draft. Were you? I was a little stunned. I mean, athletically, he's very gifted. He's got all the tools, uh, again, physically, that – you know, teams kind of go crazy for. So he had some rawness to his game that, you know, needed some development. Sure. And even here, it took him a couple of years to really grasp the offense and kind of take off the way he has. But but he still contributed immediately on special teams. Correct. Well, one of the, the most impressive things about Levi to me wasn't, wasn't just his receiving ability that he showed at U of T. But, you know, if you remember, he basically failed out of school going into his senior year and played that last year uh, for the Windsor AKO Fratman Junior Football mm-hmm. League. And this is a star receiver in that league that went over there. And instead of going out there with an ego, thinking he was a star receiver of the league, he was playing on every special team, making tackles on the cover units and returning kicks back for touchdowns on the return teams. Yeah. And it just kind of showed you that this kid really wants – to play football for a long time and loves the game. You've been doing this for a while now. What's what's the easiest mistake a scout can make when they're trying to diagnose what a player is all about? I think again, it's almost cliche, but you, you can't fall in love with just measurables. Sure, there's always more to the the total package in terms of not just size, but you know combine numbers and just not to fall in love with you know even highlights. You know somebody might look good and five or six plays but you know what does he look like over the course of you know two three four years 2017 mason woods has become james franklin 
Uh, Woodson, Onyeka, and Herdman are all on the team, so that was a good year. 2018, the top pick is Ryan Hunter. Uh, you knew he was going to take a shot at the NFL. What's mm-hmm. the discussion like between you and Jim leading up to a draft with a player, and you would had to do it again this year, players that you can bring in or players that you can wait on just in case they don't have the NFL career that they're expecting to have? Uh, well, I think part of it is initially uh, an evaluation of your own roster. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe if you had glaring holes uh, for Canadian content, you know, maybe you can't afford to, you know, take a pick like that. Uh, and might have to wait for them. But, you know, coming off the Grey Cup and we had a lot of, of our core young guys resigned. you know, we felt like we were in a position, especially if we did hit later in our rounds to fill out the rest of our roster that, we could afford to take a chance on who we felt was you know, far and away the, the top player on our board. Shane Richards was that guy this year. What was it in your eyes that separated him from everybody else, or was it really close and a very difficult decision? No, I think you know, we'd kind of settled on him being the top pick you know, fairly early on in the process. And just with him, it's, you know, he was a bit of a late bloomer to the game, um, but you know, he had the size, the strength, the physicality, his demeanor, just the way he approaches the game. Um, he's got an intensity on the field that you saw early on this season. Yeah. He can move people. And then even when we brought him in before the draft on his official visit, um, just getting to sit down and talk football with him and listening to him interact with the coaches, he had a very high football acumen that you just you kind of got the sense that once you put him in a pro environment and he starts learning – to be where he needs to be and he can start playing fast that that he can be a he can be a dominant player Robbie Smith was another fairly easy pick uh, because of the talent you know Matt Botang runs a 4-3-7 or 4-3-8 that's another easy one a Canadian back like that then you come into the third round Mike O'Connor goes where he did I will pay you probably the highest compliment you can get from another organization for the two preseason games I set next to let's say personnel department people from two different CFL teams Mm -hmm. and without me bringing up Mike O'Connor's name they did and they both said that's a really good pick what what did you see in O'Connor that kind of dispels the myth about the Canadian quarterback I mean and I think we we kind of talked about this uh, on draft day I mean if, if you were to take you know like you just said the myth about Canadian quarterback if you just take away the Canadian part of that sentence I mean he's good enough to play skills skill set wise regardless of his nationality and you know he's a guy that repeatedly we'd be watching the film and we're evaluating a player that's playing at an NCAA school and say you're watching a receiver and you see the quarterback throw the ball and you're thinking to yourself this kid is not better than Michael O'Connor mm-hmm. and then you're watching another division one program and you see the quarterback on tape and you're you're saying to yourself that kid's not as good as O'Connor <laughs> and it, it just kept happening over and over and then when you watch O'Connor you know and and you watch the throws he's making and it's funny cuz it's almost easier to evaluate O'Connor obviously the speed of the speed of U sports football is not the same as CFL obviously sure. and even the NCAA mm-hmm. but you almost had an easier evaluation because you could see him making the Canadian football league throws on the Canadian field how he would you know put the ball you know out to the wide side of the field how he would throw that deep corner how he would throw the you know the wide out to the opposite to the 
wide side of the field over there and you know how he would dissect more traditional Canadian defenses and certain coverages. I was astonished when I walked in on uh, draft night because you guys do a ton of work. You're in the war room a lot leading up to the draft. But when I saw the final list of draft picks, I was astonished how high he was. Mm -hmm. Not just as a court, but like, I mean, among your list. Correct. What was the game like with you and Jim and the other guys from personnel trying to slot where you could take O'Connor before you were terrified that somebody else was going to take him? I mean, that, that to us was the most interesting part of it because we felt, I mean, as you saw, talent-wise, that he was just as good as anybody in the draft, worthy of potentially being a first-round pick based on talent alone. Mm -hmm. You just wondered that if, because of the position he played and how it doesn't factor into the ratio even now, that teams would probably not draft him in the first or second round because it, it doesn't help fill out your Canadian quota on game day. And you have the first pick in the third round. Correct. And we had three picks prior to that. Yeah. So for us to be able to get, you know, the first pick overall, I believe it was the ninth and yeah. then and, um, and then Boateng in the, the, the regional pick right before the third round that we were able to get three solid roster players uh, that were going to help us long term and, we, we felt even early before the draft started that that was the spot we were going to take O'Connor if he was still there. Final question. You're about to go out on the road, hit some NFL camps. You do a lot of driving between, lot between of driving. camps. What's the best part of NFL camps for you with this job, and what's the worst part of NFL camps for you? And I'm taking everything from hotel rooms to, <laughs> to food to being in the, on the road for a month. Like what's, what do you like and what do you kind of go? Man, this part of it I'm not big on. I mean, to me, my favorite part is still just the fact that you get to go into, you know, six or seven different NFL environments, NFL operations, and just see because they're all different. Sure. So you get to see different ways of these organizations running things, different practice structures, different mm -hmm. camp structures, different setups at training camp. How much of that have you swiped? And taken up here you take a lot of it you, yeah. you try to and that's one thing I like too you know not just from the NFL but even you know from the university side is you know you kind of travel coast to coast and you visit all these different universities and then mm -hmm. you go down to division one colleges you visit all those schools you visit division two colleges and everyone does things a little differently mm -hmm. I mean there's some similarities but everyone's kind of got their own take on it and you always kind of have your eye out and if you see anything that you think, hey, this might be, you know, something we might be able to put to use here. You know, you always bring it back. And and what's the worst part for you? Is it the driving, the food, the the hotel life? What what drives you crazy? I don't mind the driving, especially when you do it so often. Yeah, it's probably the food, because <laughs> you you do get you get in a bit of a time crunch when mm -hmm. you have to get to a certain town by a certain time. And I mean, some cities are better than others. I mean, if you're in Chicago, uh, you know. You got, You'll get, you a get deep options. Deep. Yeah, so certain certain cities, the food options are a little better than you're others. You're in the cheese circuit in Wisconsin. Yeah, might not and, be. You know, you're driving and it's you're trying to get there before the sun goes down, and <laughs> you might have to stop at a whatever you can find and, and keep going. Fi finally, the best advice you could give a kid right now who's looking to to get into what you do, your line of work, into personnel or coaching or anything, mm. uh, if if they're young and they're kind of having that self scouting moment that you did. 
and realizing that physically they're not going to have the ability to get to the next level, mm -hmm. uh, what would your advice be if they want to stay in football? What I would say is uh, not to put a timeline on anything and, you know, no job is too big or too small. You, you have to give value to the organization. And I'll never forget when I was first interviewing for the job and was kind of asked, you know, how do you plan on getting into personnel or coaching from this job that we want to hire you for? And, you know, w what I said there was I would not expect you to trust me you know, to be coaching a position or being sent out on the road to scout if, you know, you couldn't trust me to accomplish the task that you're giving me right now. Gotcha. Very well. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. This went a lot longer than I thought, but it was, it was fascinating. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the folks that are listening are going to, the, the diehard certainly are going to take a lot from that. Thanks for doing this and uh, good luck the rest of the way. No problem. I appreciate it. That's Vince Magger. We will uh, come back and we will set up the next home game for you from uh, the Argos as we continue with the Double Blue Podcast. That was Vince Magri, the Director of Canadian Scouting for the Toronto Argonauts. And usually we go around 20 minutes. We went a lot longer than that with Vince, but uh, I hope you were uh, as entertained as I was. And I, I've, I've learned a lot talking to Vince over the years about personnel and just uh, it's it's really opened my eyes working in here on a daily basis of how much video these guys go through and I'm not exaggerating their day is uh, you know Vince gets here at seven o'clock uh, at six rather a lot of guys get in here at seven uh, and they're going till seven o'clock at night so it's work go to practice come back eat do video stay until past you sh the time you should be eating and then go home. Breakfast is, is here at the facility as well. So uh, it's a long, 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 long day. So I, I thank Vince for kind of, you know, peeling back the curtain a little bit and allowing you to see what it is that he does on a daily basis. And it's so much video of, as mentioned, youth sports kids, CFL, NFL camps, practice, you know, film from practice, stuff like that, just whatever the, the, the teams will, will share. They're breaking down guys who are kind of on the bubble who might be placed on a negotiation list or a kid out of the NCAA or a kid out of youth sports. So much work. Uh, and when you get a kid out of the draft, uh, all that work pays off. Or can find a guy coming up north, uh, a free agent. That's, that's where it all pays off. Uh, again, don't forget the uh, next home game. For the Argos is Winnipeg on Thursday, August 1st. It's part of the football concert series, classified playing at halftime. Again, uh, argonauts.ca or Ticketmaster or go to the Argos app to be able to purchase your tickets. Uh, Calgary this Thursday night, Argos with an opportunity against a young quarterback. We'll see what Corey Chamberlain has in store in terms of disguising coverages and pressure packages to try and get after the kid. Um, it worked for Hamilton as, uh, you know, the Stampeders probably should have won that game if it wasn't for the return game of, uh, of Hamilton. And maybe that's something that, uh, that the Argos can exploit with a guy like Rainey or a guy like Fogg back there. Uh, maybe maybe it's the Argos' chance to, to pull off another one like they did in the last home game here against BC. Uh, and then there's the game in Edmonton on Thursday the 25th. So our thanks, Luca, thank you for doing the editing of, of this, and thank you for listening. Uh, my name is Mike Hogan, and we'll do this again next week on the Double Blue Podcast.